It's not often that Valentine's Day comes on Sunday, but you are the smart crowd. You brought your Valentine to church today. That's great. That's great. Somebody texted me a thing and said, you might want to use this Sunday. Uh, it was a story of a couple that had gone to a therapist for marriage counseling. They'd been married for 35 years and had a pretty rocky road. And the lady just starts spilling out how she felt. And it just went on and on and on. She was telling how in love she was and how uh, neglected she felt and just went on and on and on. And after a while, while she was still talking, the therapist just got up from behind his desk and walked around in front of her and said, stand up. And she stood up and he just embraced her and kissed her right in front of her husband. And he's just sitting there with shock. And I mean, he gives her a passionate kiss. And he turned around to the husband and said, now your wife needs that at least three times a week. Can you do that? And he said, well, I can bring her in on Mondays and Wednesdays, but Friday's my fishing day. <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more seriously about love today. And in fact, we're, we're, give, we're talking about a love story this entire month. We're sharing with you the book of Ruth out of your Old Testament. It goes way back. It's kind of tucked in there before you get uh, from the days of the judges and right before you get into the, the chronicles of the kings and the history of the kings and the, basically the history of Israel. Uh, if you, if you, in your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and then you come to Ruth. It's right there. Uh, it's only got four chapters, and I'm using a chapter per Sunday. Last Sunday morning, I introduced to you the book of Ruth. And for those of you who were not here, allow me for just a brief moment to give you a little background. The story begins with a family leaving Bethlehem, Judah, and going to Moab. The reason for their departure from Bethlehem, Judah, was that there was a famine in the land. And that sounds so strange because the word Bethlehem itself means house of bread. And they're leaving the house of bread because of a famine. In other words, there's a lack in the house of bread. And I explained that to you. They had backslidden and the blessings of God had been withdrawn. That's the reason we're having trouble. It happens to any nation that forsakes God and does not return when they're given the opportunity. And so they, they make a long journey towards Moab. And in Moab, things really went in reverse to what they had thought would happen. They actually planned to return eventually. Eliminate. And in fact, the Bible said they sojourned there, indicating that they went there for a while. They were planning to come back. But while they were there, Elimelech, who was the husband and the father, died. And so Naomi, his wife now, is left as a widow with two sons to finish raising. Fast forward 10 years. The boys are grown. The boys have gotten married. Things are going better with the family. And then something happened. Both Mylon and Kilion die as well, the two sons. Now, they had married. One had married a woman named Orpha, and the other had married a woman named Ruth. But 
these boys died. So now we have three widows. We have the mother who has lost her husband and her two sons. And we have these two daughters-in-law, Orpha and Ruth, who are also widowed. Naomi thinks about it and says, I would be better off if I went back home. I don't have anything left. I've lost everything. I'll go back home. Orpha and Ruth decide to go back home with her. And so they start the journey, but, but Naomi stops and, and turns around and prevails on these girls to go back to their own families. And their families were very much alive because it says to your father and your mother and to their house. And, and so she prevailed, please go back. It's, you just don't realize how tough it's going to be if you follow me, if you go back where I'm from, if you move into my culture. You don't understand how we operate in, in my culture. It's, you, you, don't just, you don't just get married again in my culture. You have to keep it within the family because of the inheritance. And so the, the, the way this works is you have to marry the brother of your deceased husband so that the, all the possessions and the land and so forth can stay in the family line. And said, I don't have any more sons. And, and look at my age. If I were to get married tomorrow, and if I could have a, a children as quickly as possible, or would you wait? It just doesn't make sense. Would you wait till they're grown? You're, you're, if you go back home with me, chances are you're going to have a very empty life. And so Orpha kisses Naomi, goodbye, and goes back to her mother's house and her father's house. But Ruth, Ruth, makes a statement that became very famous. In fact, a beautiful song is written about it. They play it at weddings a lot and sing it. Whither thou goest, I will go. Whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And Ruth even went on so far as to say to her mother-in-law, only death will separate us. I'm going with you no matter what. And she does. And so they return to Bethlehem. The famine is over. Things are doing better. Thankfully, God's people repented and the blessings of God are being poured out again. And, and, uh, but here they are, two widow women trying to make a living without a man in the household. Remember, this is an agrarian society, so it's very difficult for them. They can't go down and get a job at a factory or the plant or a store or, 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 or anything like that. It, the, the way you made your living was farming or raising cattle or dairy or sheep or oxen or something like that. And, and so they're, they're trying to eke out a living. And so now we come to chapter 2. And during the course of this message today, I'll read the entire chapter to you. But I want to present to you today in chapter 2, the theme of this chapter is the humble gleaner, the humble gleaner, Ruth chapter 2. And my first point is Ruth in the field of Boaz. And I want you to look at the first three verses of Ruth chapter 2, and I'm reading from the message. It so happened that Naomi had a relative by marriage, a man prominent and rich, connected with Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. One day, Ruth, the Moabite foreigner, said to Naomi, I'm going to work. I'm going out and glean among the shears, following after some harvesters who will treat me kindly. Naomi said, go ahead, dear daughter. And so she set out. She went and started gleaning in a field, following in the wake of the harvesters. Eventually, she ended up 
in the part of the field owned by Boaz, her father-in-law, Elimelech's relative. Few points of interest from these first three verses. The first thing I want to introduce to you now in this love story, a man by the name of Elimelech. And the scripture says that he was prominent, that he was rich, and that he was connected with Elimelech's family. I think it's important to stop here because there's an emphasis on how well this guy had done. Remember in chapter 1, Elimelech and his family had run from the house of bread and gone into a far country to to try to find things a little better because it was difficult where they lived. But Boaz didn't do that. Boaz stayed in Bethlehem, Judah. He stayed through the famine. He stayed through the hard times. And the scripture makes special emphasis here that he is really blessed of God. He is is wealthy. Not only is he wealthy, he's he's prominent. In other words, he's, he's not only a man of means, but he's a man that's respected, highly regarded. God has blessed him during this time. Can, can I say this to you this morning? Elimelech chose to leave in time of difficulty. Boaz chose to stay. Elimelech suffered loss. Boaz was blessed. You know, so many times we, um, we make bad choices and we excuse those choices because of our circumstances. This morning, let me tell you this. Circumstances are no excuse for bad decisions and poor choices. You need to seek God whether times are good or whether times are bad. Don't go running off making life-altering choices based on your circumstances. Just don't do that. That's the wrong thing to do. Seek God first and make sure that you do what God wants you to do. It's never right to do wrong. Second thing I want to point out here from these first three verses is the ancestry of Boaz. I want you to get acquainted with Boaz. So I want to tell you about his family background. I'm going to fast forward all the way to the New Testament. The first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew chapter 1, gives us the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Listen to this, first five verses. The family tree of Jesus Christ, son David's son, Abraham's son, Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had Judah and his brothers. Judah had Perez and Zerah. The mother was Tamar. Perez and Hezron. And Hezron had Aram. And Aram had Amenadad. And Amenadad had Nashon. And Nashon had Salmon. And Salmon had Boaz. His mother was Rahab. Boaz had Obed, Ruth was his mother. Obed had Jesse, and Jesse had David, and David became the king. Now, I want you to put that on hold for a minute. I'm going to come back to this ancestry in just a moment because I think it's important in the story to to delve into. So just kind of hold that. Remember that Boaz, his daddy was Salmon. And, and then, for some reason, God puts a little parenthesis in there, 
and tells us who the mother is. He doesn't tell us the mother of all these others. I mean, there, when there were important women, good time of living in the genealogy of Jesus, there's, there, there's, there's Sarah, there's Rebecca, there's Rachel and Leah, and, and you could go on and on and on, but th those are not the ones that are mentioned here. Rahab is mentioned. His mother was Rahab. And we'll come back to that in just a few minutes. Third thing I want you to notice here is Ruth's willingness to work. This, this young lady who, is father, uh, who has followed her mother-in-law to a land that is strange for her, she's a foreigner, which will add to the difficulty of her getting a job and finding employment to help the family she said, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here. She, just, she spoke to her mother-in-law and said, I'm not, I'm not going to just sit here. I'm going to do something. I'm going to work. And, and, I, and I've discovered, and I, I know it's kind of the bottom of the, of the line on the employment. It's not what everybody's looking for. But I've noticed that anybody who wants to, in fact, it was, it was Israel's welfare program to help those that were down and out or in need. It's called gleaning. And, and you go back to the book of Leviticus, and it will, there is instruction given to the farmers in Israel. The farmers were instructed when they were harvesting their crops, it, when, they're going, when they're going this way with their harvesting tools and animals and, and equipment and, and slings and, and, uh, and, and all of those uh, tools that they used to, to harvest with, they were not to go all the way to the corner of their property and then go back. As they approached the corner, they were to take a great big circle and leave that whole corner section off over there. And they were to round off at the next one and leave a huge section over here. And same thing to the south and the, uh, and, and the other end over here, the southeast and the southwest corners. They were to leave these large areas so that people who were down on their luck or, or had suffered a loss for whatever reason, maybe their house had burned or they just lost everything and they didn't have gainful employment, they wouldn't have to starve in Israel. They could come to these farms and they could glean, they could pick up the grain from these areas that were left for them. And that, that was the purpose of it. And Ruth is willing to work and, and so she, she, she goes after it. In fact, let me read it to you. One day, Ruth, the Moabite foreigner, said to Naomi, I'm going to work. I'm going to glean among the sheaves, following after some harvester who will treat me kindly. And so she gets going. And she ends up in the field of this Boaz guy that I just mentioned to you a while ago. Now, the fact is you can see God beginning to work in her life here. But I want you to notice this. God begins to work in her life when she's willing to get going, when she's willing to do something. She did not just sit on her hands in her mother-in-law's house and say, maybe somebody will have pity on us. No, 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 no. She said, I'm going to do what I can do. And can I say to you this morning, if you get going, you stand a better chance of getting God's blessing. But amen. Somebody give God praise for that. Here, here's the reason. God blesses faith. And faith is an action. And, and she's going to do something. God can do a lot more for you if you get started. 
God's not going to bless laziness. God's not going to bless slothfulness. God's, he, he just doesn't bless that. Those things are not blessed. Go to the book of Proverbs and you'll, you'll find out. If you want to be blessed, for heaven's sakes, do something. There's something you can do. And so she said, I'm going to do what I can do. So she gets started. Now, the next point I want you to see, there, the next point of the sermon is Boaz's protection and provision for her. And I'm going to read a lengthy section of this chapter in this reading. I'm going to read verses 4 to 17. Listen to this. A little later, Boaz came out from Bethlehem, greeting his harvesters. God be with you. They replied, and God bless you. I want to stop here long enough. Do you notice, do you notice how he's the boss man now? He's the landowner. Look how he interacts with the people that are working for him. He says, God bless you. And they're, they're responding back to him, and, and God bless you. Boaz asked his young servant who was the foreman over his farmhands, who's this young woman? Where does she come from? The foreman said, why, that's the Moabite girl, the one who came with Naomi from the country of Moab. She asked permission, let me glean, as she said, and gather among the sheaves following after your harvesters. And she's been at it steady ever since, from morning, early morning until now, without so much as a break. Then Boaz spoke to Ruth, listen, my daughter, from now on, don't go to any other field to glean. Stay right here in this one. And stay close to my young women. Watch where they're harvesting and follow them. And don't worry about a thing. I've given orders to my servants not to harass you. When you get thirsty, feel free to go drink from the water buckets that the servants have filled. She dropped to her knees with, and bowed her face to the ground. How does this happen that you should pick me out and treat me so kindly, me a foreigner? Boaz answered, I've heard all about you. I've heard about the way you treated your mother-in-law after the death of her husband and how you left your father and mother in the land of your birth. And, and, and you've come among this bunch of total strangers. God reward you well for what you've done. And with a generous bonus besides from God to whom you've come seeking protection under his wings. She said, oh, sir, such grace, such kindness. I don't deserve it. You've touched my heart, treated me like one of your own and I don't even belong here. At the lunch break, Boaz said to her, come over here, eat some bread, dip in the wine. So she joined the harvesters. Boaz passed the roasted grain to her. She ate her fill and even had some left over. When she got up to go back to work, Boaz ordered his servants, let her glean where there's some, still plenty of grain on the ground. Make it easy for her. Better yet, pull some of the good stuff and leave it for her to glean. Give her special treatment. Ruth gleaned in the field until the evening, and when she had threshed out what she had gathered, she ended up with nearly a full sack of barley. Wow. Look at this. First of all, Boaz takes notice of this stranger in the field. Second thing he does, he inquires of his foreman, who is this? He looked over his field, and he recognized everybody but this one person. He said, who, who's that young lady there? And so the foreman said, she's that foreigner that came back with Naomi from Moab. And then look at the compliment he paid her. Said She asked, could she glean in the fields? And we gave her permission. And she has not stopped. She has worked all day long. She hasn't even stopped for a break. Folks, people are watching us. Yeah. 
at all times. Amen? And your character is going to show. And, uh, and, and so she gives that wonderful comment. And so Boaz does something unusual. Boaz goes out to meet this young lady. Let me read it again. I read it a while ago. But then Boaz spoke to Ruth, listen, my daughter, from now on, don't you go to any other field to glean. You just stay right here in this one and stay close to my young women and watch where they are harvesting and follow them. And don't worry about a thing. I've given orders to my servants not to harass you. When you get thirsty, you feel free to go drink from the water of the buckets the servants have filled. Now, I want to ask you this question. Here's where the ancestry comes in that I read to you a while ago. Do you think, do you think that Boaz would have paid any attention to this strange foreign woman gleaning in his field if it had not been for his background? Let, let me say this. Boaz was not the only relative left in Abimelech's family. He was not the only well-to-do relative. The other relative hadn't noticed her. There were other farms around, and actually she was in another farm. She happened from that one on to Boaz's land. They didn't pay any attention to her over there. Why do you think he noticed her? Here's my opinion. It's just my opinion, but, but I, just, I just know how life works and, and how God uses circumstances. Boaz, remember who his daddy was? Salmon. Now, that's not such a big deal, but the Scripture is careful to tell us that Salmon married a woman named Rahab. How many of you know the story of Rahab? When Joshua is about to take Jericho, he sent spies into Jericho. Remember that story? How many of you remember that? He sent spies into Jericho. And, and, and they're in danger now because somebody has told the authorities that there's a couple of strangers spying out our land, and they start looking for them. And the two spies were hidden by a woman named Rahab. By the way, the Bible called Rahab a harlot. In other words, she was a professional prostitute. And she hid the spies of God and protected them. And she said to them, we, we, we know what the God of Israel has done in Egypt. And we just have a feeling that we're in trouble. And I just want you to know, I'm showing kindness to you. And when God gives you favor to destroy Jericho, would you remember me and my family? And they said, absolutely. If you'll, if you'll put a scarlet rope out of your window and let it hang down beside the wall so we'll know where you are, when we come and take this city, we will spare you and your family. You make sure that they're there with you. And you know the rest of the story. When the walls of Jericho fell, they spared Rahab and her family and took them back to Israel. In fact, some archaeologists tell us that the only part of that wall that didn't fall was the, was the little part where Rahab's family lived. And they were able to get her out of there and, and brought her back to Israel. Well, sometime along the way, Rahab met Salmon, fell in love. They got married. Her, she's got a whole new life now starting. 
The interesting thing is that Salmon is of the tribe of Judah. And guess where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is going to come from? The tribe of Judah. And God, in his mercy and in his grace, this ought to be encouraging to everybody around here that's got a past. And there's a lot of you sitting in front of me this morning that's got a past. In fact, all of us have a past. Some of it's just worse than others, amen. But I don't care. I don't care how bad your past is. I want to tell you, God can make your future bright if you'll just trust him. And that's what he did. That's what he did. But Boaz grew up from a little boy all the way to manhood, knowing that his mother was a foreigner. I imagine there were many times when he was a kid. You know how kids are. Some kid must have said to her, where'd your mama come from? She sure looks different. (laughs) Your mama don't look like the rest of the women around here. (laughs) That, 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 That wouldn't play so, you know, it wouldn't be a big deal in our culture today because thank God under grace and under the new covenant, uh, that, that keeping everything separate is not important anymore. But the reason God was keeping that whole racial line separate was so that, it, so that he could bring Jesus, the redeemer of the world, and fulfill the prophecy. They had to keep that. So you're talking about a place where if you, where if you were any different, you would really stand out. It would have been in Israel. Because, I mean, everybody else was from that lineage that came from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the 12 kids and their descendants and their descendants and their descendants. And, and, and Rahab was a foreigner, but God gave her favor. But Boaz grew up in that atmosphere and in that environment. And I think it sensitized him. It, it made it, when he saw that foreigner that there was something from his heart that connected that didn't connect from from the other people the other farms where she'd been the other relatives that she had there but it connected with Boaz because he knew what it was like to be in a home where there was something a little different and so he took notice of this stranger that's why I think his ancestry is so important let me tell you something folks God, in his marvelous way of doing things, has been working stuff out in your life before you were ever even born. He just, he just has a way of doing that. Wow. Uh, Boaz meets Ruth. I, I love that. And, and then Ruth responds to what he says to her. Look at this. She dropped to her knees and bowed her face to the ground how does this happen that you should pick me out and treat me so kindly, me a foreigner? Now, I want you to notice this. Two things really stand out here about Ruth. She was humble and she was respectful. Let, let me say this to you. I'm going I'm to sidetrack here. I'm going to run down a little, little rabbit trail and I'll come back. This is Valentine's Day, so forgive me for the little rabbit trail, but I just want to tell you this. Here's what the Scripture tells men to do related to their wife. This is a command of God. Husbands, love your wife. That's a command of God. Faye and I deal with couples whose marriage are in trouble from time to time, and 
unfortunately, most of the time, by the time they get to us, it's a real mess. And I often hear this. We don't love each other anymore. And you know what I tell men that say that to me? I look them straight in the eye, and I said, God said, love your wife, period. And, and men say to me sometimes, well, preacher, you just don't understand. I, 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 we're, I'm, not in, I'm not in love with her anymore. I said, God never instructs us to do anything that we can't do with his help. So if God tells you to love your wife, I don't care what the situation is, the circumstances are, you can do it with his help. Now, don't try to do it by yourself. Or, and, a, and a counselor may not be able to help you even do that. But God doesn't ask us to do things that we can't do with his help. Amen? So husbands, love your wife. But now what about the wife? God does not command women to love their wives, although I think it's good, if, I mean their husband, although I think it's real good if you do. Uh, but here's the thing. God made women as responders anyway. And if a man loves his wife like God loves the church and puts her first in his life and loves her according to the scriptural principle, if they're both seeking God together, you don't have a problem with the wife loving the husband. She can't help it. This is like that couple up here this morning. I knew Haley before she got married. I knew when Haley was a basher and not a lamb. <laughs> she can't help loving Tony. <laughs> she, she can't help it. She don't, God don't have to command her to love Tony as long as Tony's loving her and bragging about her like he did up here a while ago and putting her first in his life and, and doing everything that Jesus said do and they're both seeking the Lord. She, that's, that's just natural. It just, it just happens. But here's what God tells women to do. Women, honor or respect your husband. The worst thing you can do, women, is dishonor or disrespect your husband. You, you gnaw away at the very essence of his manhood when you dishonor or disrespect him. If you want to destroy your marriage, just do that. I see women sometimes put their husbands down in public. That's the worst thing you can possibly do. Don't do that. Don't do that. God commanded you to respect and honor your husband. You say, well, he don't deserve it. Didn't say, does he deserve it? You trust God to take care of the rest of it. Your part's to do what God said do, and then God, if you'll let him, will, will help do the rest. But always honor, always respect. Always, you know, don't talk bad about your husband to your family, for heaven's sakes. You know, y'all have a spat, and you'll go spill it all to your relatives, your, your, your family, and then you'll get over the spat and the rest of your family will be mad at your husband. And you're going on like nothing happened. You got it all. You got it worked out. You know? but, but your family has a, so we're supposed, this is what Ruth did. She honored Boaz. She knew the, she had learned so much from her mother, Naomi, 
about the God of Israel and how, how God wanted us to operate and how God wanted us to act. And so she respected. She gave honor to Boaz. She, she bowed in his presence and, and spoke to him with respect and with honor. And look, Boaz continues the conversation here. Boaz answered her, I've heard all about you. I've heard about the way you treated your mother-in-law after the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in the land of your birth, come to live among a bunch of total strangers. God rewards you well for what you've done, and with a generous bonus besides from God, to whom you've come seeking protection under his wings. Wow. Something's going on here. Boaz not only recognized that foreigner out there and, and, and gave her some blessings, he started doing a little inquiring about the background. And he said, I, I've already found out all about you. I, I know. And he recognized her character and her pursuit of God. Remember when, when she refused to leave Naomi and she followed her Bethlehem, she said, among other things, your God will be my God. Your God will be my God. And, and, and Boaz has heard about that. He recognizes her character and her pursuit of God. And so then we have Ruth's second response to Boaz. Look what else she said. She said, oh, sir, such grace, such kindness. I don't deserve it. By the way, that's what grace is. It's what you don't deserve. Amen. She got it anyway. You've touched my heart, treated me like one of your own, and I don't even belong here. I got, I got amused at this this week when I was studying this chapter in Ruth, this little phrase. She said, you've touched my heart. Sounds a little bit like some Valentine lingo, doesn't it? <laughs> you've touched my heart. Well, Boaz is no fool, man. This guy's not slow, and no, he's ne neither is he stupid. He, no, he picks up on that right quick. Yeah. <laughs> you you touched my heart. Something's going on here. My heart's fluttering. That's one definition of love. It's a tickling around your heart you can't scratch. That's, that's not a dictionary definition, but it's a definition. It's one that, 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 uh, that I've heard. Look at Boaz. Like I said, this guy's not slow at all. He picks up on this immediately when she said, you've touched my heart. This is what he said. He invites her to an impromptu lunch date. Now, he don't mess around. He got that little signal, and when that little signal went off, he jumped all over it. Here's what he said. At the lunch break, Boaz said to her, come over here and eat some bread. Dip it in the wine. So she joined the harvesters. Boaz passed the roasted grain to her, and she ate her fill and even had some left over. He promotes her immediately. He's not treating her now like a gleaner. He's treating her like one of his own hired servants and then even gives her a special place at the table for lunch. Come over here and sit by me. <laughs> and uh, a little azure here. Dip, dip, your, dip your grain here. Yeah. I mean, you can see things starting to escalate fast. This is a love story, folks. It gets better the further we go along. You don't want to miss the rest of this. Uh, unfortunately, I'm going to have to cut it off here at the end of this chapter today. But, but, but he picks up on that. And then he orders special favor for her. Look at this. When she got up to go back to work, Boaz ordered his servants, 
let her glean where there's still plenty of grain on the ground and make it easier for her. Better yet, pull some of the good stuff and leave it for her to glean. Give her special treatment. He orders favor for her. I love the old King James Version. He says, let some hands full on purpose drop to the ground. Now, here's what was going on here. You, you remember he told her to follow his, the, the ladies that were working in his field. The harvesters, these were the guys that were doing the, the hard work. They were using the sickle, and they would harvest the grain, and then they'd pull it up in bundles. And then there were women that were hired to come along behind them, and they would bind those bundles. They would tie them up and leave them in stacks so they could pick them up later. And then the gleaners are the one that came behind those to pick up what grain was left on, on the ground. You understand that? Now, this favor is clearly realized because, look at this, Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, and when she threshed out what she had gathered, she ended up with nearly a full sack of barley. A full sack of barley was a typical day's wage for an experienced harvester um, for, for their wages. In fact, once it's winnowed out and there's nothing but grain left, it's like five and a half gallons of grain that she had from that day's work. Now, my third and final point, and I'll close the message. Ruth's favor, God's favor is recognized by Naomi. Look at 18 through 23, the end of the chapter. She gathered up her gleanings, went back to town, showed her mother-in-law the results of her day's work. She also gave her the leftovers from her lunch. Naomi asked her, so where did you glean today? Whose field? God bless whoever it was that took such good care of you. Ruth told her mother-in-law, the man with whom I work today, his name is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, why, God bless that man. God hasn't quite walked out on us after all. He still loves us in bad times as well as good. Naomi went on, that man, Ruth, is one of our circle of covenant redeemers, a close relative of ours. Ruth, the Moabite, has said, well, listen to this. He also told me, stick with my workers until my harvesting is finished. Naomi said to Ruth, that's wonderful, dear daughter. You do that. You'll be safe in the company of this young, his young women. No danger of being raped in some stranger's field. So Ruth did it. She stuck close to Boaz's young women, gleaning in the field daily until both the barley and the wheat harvesting were finished. And she continued living with her mother-in-law. Now, let, let this, this chapter ends on a beautiful note. A beautiful note. Notice that something is going on here with Naomi. Na Naomi is recognizing not only God's favor, but Naomi now is starting to change her attitude. Do you remember last Sunday in chapter 1, Naomi said, I went away full, I came back empty. She said, don't even call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. I'm bitter over my circumstances. Things have gone terrible for me. But now, all of a sudden, you hear Naomi saying, maybe God hasn't forsaken us. God has not left us after all. Listen to me, church. God doesn't leave you just because you're going through a tough time. 
God doesn't leave you just because your circumstances have gone south. God doesn't leave you just because nobody else understands what you're going through. God doesn't leave you just because other people not only don't understand, they may not even care, but God always cares. Amen? He never leaves you. And so Naomi's attitude begins to change, and, and, and she starts to see things from a different perspective. And, and, and God not only has blessed them with their immediate needs, notice he invited Ruth to stay through not just one harvest, but two harvests, the wheat harvest and the barley harvest. In other words, she, they were taken care of now for the entire year. They don't have anything to worry about. For this whole year, God has provided for them. And we'll talk more about the story next Sunday. Will you stand with me? I want to conclude with some practical application for you and me from this story, chapter 2 today. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to check your GPS and note your location. In other words, I'm asking you this morning, where are you? I'm basically asking you this morning, which field are you in? Are you like Abimelech and, and, and you wandered off somewhere out there in a strange country? Because if you have, I'm going to tell you, things are not going to go well for you out there. I know what it is. I've lived inside the will of God and I've lived outside the will of God. And I can tell you, inside the will of God is so much better so much better. I remember as a young teenager laying in the floor of the old Church of God in South 6 and O Street in Richmond, Indiana on a Sunday night and crying my heart out and begging God. I said, God, I've gotten out of your will. If you'll just let me back in your will, I promise you that I will seek earnestly your direction for my life the rest of my life. And I'll never move out of your will again on purpose. God in his mercy helped redirect me. I had, I was, I was not where God was directing my ministry. I'd gone off on my own. I'd made my own decision. I said, this is where I want to work. This is what I want to do. God said, that's not what I called you to. I know what it is to be outside the will of God. I know there's a world of difference when you're inside the will of God. Whose field are you in today? Because if Boaz represents Christ, by the way, we'll talk about that later. But if you're in Boaz's field, let me tell you something about the field of Boaz. <laughs> in Boaz's field, there's always companionship. God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Even if you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, he'll be with you and his rod and staff will comfort you. He will get you through it. There's always companionship. You'll never be alone. People may misunderstand you. People may leave you. But God will never leave you. If you'll stay in God's field, if you'll stay in God's will, God will always be with you. Secondly, in God's field, there's always protection. Amen. No weapon formed against you will prosper. He doesn't say there won't be a weapon formed against you, but he just said God won't allow it to, he won't allow it to prosper, amen? He will take care of that. He'll give you a shield of faith. And those weapons and those, that, that artillery that's, that's pounding against you will, 
will run into the shield of faith and the protection of the Lord. Blessed is the man that, that's under the, the shadow of the Almighty. Glory to God. He'll take care of you. He'll protect you. And finally, in God's field, there's always abundant provision. God will provide for you. He will provide for you. He will take care of you. He will get you through this storm. He'll get you through this valley. He'll get you through this difficulty. And his blessings will be there. He'll give you life and life more abundantly. He'll supply your need. My God supplies all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. There's provision in his field. And some of you are standing here today and the Holy Spirit's already spoken to your heart. And you know that you're not where you need to be. I had a man, I prayed with a man at the altar after the 830 service. And I slipped up beside him and I saw he was really struggling in prayer. And I said, brother, how can I help you? And he said, that's me. I've wandered away from God. I need to come home. I need to come home. And I said, brother, I got good news for you. The heavenly Father's got his arms wide open waiting for you to come on home. Amen. Get in the right field this morning. Get in the right field. God will notice you. God will see you. God will pick you up. God will move your and elevate your position. He'll take you from a servant to a son. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The altar is open. I want the prayer team to come quickly. Brother Steve's going to bless us with some music as we pray. I'm not going to tarry long with this altar service because all I can do is speak to your ears and your head. No, Holy Spirit's the one speaking to your heart. I'm just going to ask you to respond to what the Holy Spirit's calling. If you felt it, if that's you this morning, you say, Preacher, I, I, I know I, I'm, not, I'm not exactly where God wants me to be. I, I've, I've wandered off. I'm, I've made some decisions. I'm, I'm headed towards Moab. And I just need some redirection this morning. If that's you, come on. The altar's open. Come on. Come on. Just, just make your way this way all over the building. Whatever your need might be. If you have other needs and you want somebody to pray with you, bring those to the altar as well. We'll be glad to do that. But you may want to just find a place, just you and God, and say, Lord, I want to get in the right field. I want to follow the right leader. God bless you as you pray.